Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned into the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools within their success portfolio. I'm joined today by Aditya Varanasi, founder and CEO of Awarity. Aditya is disrupting an advertising industry by making world-class marketing more affordable for up-and-coming companies. Let's head on over to the interview. Aditya, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Eric. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, man. And and before we really dive deep into this entrepreneurial story of yours and the expertise and the targeted advertising and brand awareness, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're listening to this show for the first time, a quick background on what this means is to think of like an investment portfolio that makes up your financial investments and builds towards that financial future. Well, here on The Eric Mueller Show, I want to discover how successful people like Aditya invest in themselves and build the foundation for their success. So start us off. What are some skills, traits, habits, or mindsets that make up your success portfolio? You know, I think, I think for me, the most important one was always be looking to learn. And, and by that, you know, when I never intended to be an entrepreneur, I never dreamt of it. I never talked about it. But it was just that process of continuously learning and trying to see what I enjoy, looking at different experiences, trying to maximize each experience from what I could learn there and seeing what doors that opened, what possibilities it created and making those choices where I felt like I could continue to learn and grow in areas I was excited and passionate about. Because at the end of the day, if you want to be an entrepreneur, the number one differentiator you're going to have is your passion. Because you're going to be laying it all on the line. You're going to be climbing an uphill battle. You're going to be trying to do things that not many people have, have, may have tried. And passion is the thing that carries you forward. And so if you become passionate about the things you're learning about, that really becomes a formula where you can figure out the path forward. None of us can predict the path. None of us can predict exactly what's next. But if we're in that mindset of just trying to learn and learn about things we're really excited about, learning about, that to me was the number one key in terms of getting to where I am today. Yeah. And do you think, I, I've thought a lot about that kind of intersection between that, that passion and expertise place where you can find that you know, kind of area where you succeed the most in terms of you're passionate about it, you can work towards it, but you also have that, that knowledge, that unique skill set to actually get it done. Did you find that that was always there for you in regard to marketing? I mean, you had experience you worked for like 14 years, you know, in kind of bigger corporations to, you know, build brands. And obviously they have a little bit more money to dedicate to it. But just describe to us a little bit if that was always your plan or how it led to you starting the company that is now Awarity. Yeah. And look, I, I can, I'll tell you the full, the full journey. You know, when I was in high school, I really wanted to be a doctor. I thought I'm going to go to college. I'm going to study pre-med. And I'm going to go to medical school and I'm going to be a doctor. You know, I was even president of the Young Physicians Association back in our hometown. And when I got to college, I started in chemistry because uh, I was at Purdue University. They didn't have a pre-med, formal pre-med program. So I had to choose a different major. And I started in chemistry and I started to think, you know, what if I don't want to go to med school? What's next? 
And so I quickly switched to chemical engineering because I saw some overlap between the pre-med requirements and, and, and an opportunity to get a degree that was challenging. But honestly, I chose chemical engineering because I heard it was really hard. I don't have a much better reason for that. Look, when we're early in our careers, we don't really know exactly what fuels us, what we're passionate about, what we can be good at. And I always just gravitated to challenges. So I said, okay, let's try chemical engineering. I know that at the end of it, I'll have options beyond just medicine. And I saw a lot of overlap between the curriculum. So I graduated with a degree in chemical engineering. I decided probably by my junior year at Purdue that I wasn't interested in going to med school and um, took up a job at Frito-Lay. And I had no intention of moving to Dallas. I had, had never been there, didn't know much about the industry. But when I got to Frito-Lay for the on-site interview, the thing that really attracted me was that they're a market leader. And it's not just about being a leader. What I saw with the people that I talked to is the passion, commitment, and dedication, and the intellect and intelligence to keep pushing forward. And that's how you stay. Getting to number one is one thing. Staying number one takes a completely different skill set. You have to keep pushing forward. You can't be complacent. And from that experience through the interview process uh, with the Frito-Lay R&D group, what really struck with me is I could really learn here. And for whatever reason, that became like a magnet to where I turned down another job opportunity I thought I was going to take. And I, I joined Frito-Lay. was working on new product development as an engineer in the R&D group. And that's where I first got exposed to marketing. And as I started working with the brand marketing team on new products, I started to find myself getting really excited about what they're doing. I started asking questions. I started asking questions about how they think about the competition, how they heard that consumer feedback at the focus group and what, how that could inform what our strategy with the product. And I found myself wanting to learn more and more about marketing. And I saw that being the intersection of business strategy, product design, consumer strategy, competitive strategy, making sure the economics work. And I thought, this is really fascinating. And I found myself just wanting to learn more and more about each of those areas, so much so that I ended up getting my MBA in, in, in marketing. And I think it was just something likely intrinsic. I just, if I find something that's interesting to me, I just want to keep learning about it. I want to learn how it works. I want to learn why it is that, that just curiosity and that's what took me into the path of marketing. Then I got into, got into marketing and it was the same curiosity. What makes a good ad? What's the difference between a good ad and a bad ad? How do you think about placement, targeting strategy, consumer strategy, going deeper in those areas that ultimately pulled into marketing, but then tying in the whole execution and implementation side of a business? How do you, how do you run a brand? How do you look at growing a brand year over year? How do you look at the activity from the previous year, the growth drivers there, and build on those to continue that growth the next year? How do you think about your consumer targets? And I found myself being really fascinated with that. So much so, I got into the data side of it in a really big way and started to see patterns on how advertising can actually really move the needle, something I didn't understand before. And... You know, during my time there, um, I got to a point where I thought, hey, you know, I'm not sure corporate America is where I want to be for the long term, but I don't know what else to do. So I just said, I'm going to commit. I was, I was in a pretty good position at the company. So I'm just going to commit to learning and helping the people around me. I said, you know what? And I was somebody very focused on advancement, promotion, making sure I was recognized for the impact I was having. And I said, you know what? 
there's a lot of factors that go into that that I can't necessarily control. And so I'm just going to focus on learning and helping the people around me and be happy that I'm in a job that compensates me well and I get to do some fun stuff. And as I embrace that, I got a call from a private equity group. They had raised a good amount of money and they were looking for somebody with my background, somebody that had a technical analytical background from my engineering days, but also top tier marketing experience. And they wanted some, they wanted to hire me as the CEO of a new insurance startup that was going to disrupt the commercial insurance business. And I thought, hey, this is something different. This seems really exciting. And that was really my foray out of corporate America. Now, I wasn't really the entrepreneur. It wasn't my money. It wasn't my risk. I was an employee of the company, but I learned a lot about entrepreneurship from the guy that I worked for. And it didn't last long. Uh, there's a number of reasons why we won't delve into, but long term, it just wasn't the right, the right fit mutually. And they went in a different direction with what they did, uh, even beyond just the insurance startup. And, but the experience was invaluable for me. And so after I left, I, I started interviewing at, at companies, interviewed at some big name companies, some really exciting positions. I couldn't get excited about any of them. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? These are some of the biggest names in the planet. These are some incredibly exciting roles. I can't even get excited about these positions. And I was talking to my best friend from high school. He's my college roommate. And he jokingly said, you know what? We should start a business. And I was actually on site um, at one of the largest companies in the world uh, interviewing. I was at the hotel. And that's what he said it. And it was like the light went off. You know what? Let's do it. He was just saying it flippantly. Um, and jokingly, and before you knew it, you know, I'd registered a, a business. We were going to try some things in healthcare consulting. I had some ideas on how to bring kind of that advertising strategy to healthcare to help these healthcare systems reach new patients that they could help. And that's that's really where the journey the journey started. Yeah. So it did. It wasn't like naturally that you always wanted to do entrepreneurship. You just had that you were chasing and following what was interesting to you and what you wanted to learn more about and opportunities came to you. I, I think that's probably a really important thing for people to hear because I think a lot of people, including myself, get caught up in this sort of timeline that you create for yourself and you think, I need to be at X milestone by this year and this year and this year or, or day and month. And I think that that can get kind of overwhelming. And I think it's really inspirational to hear that story from you while you were an employee, you shared a little bit as far as what you learned, but what would you, what would you say is the most impactful thing that you learned while being an employee that has maybe helped you in your entrepreneurial uh, steps today running your company? Yeah. You know, I think, I think the biggest thing, and not, not, to be, not to keep repeating it, but it was, just, it was learning to learn. At, at Frito-Lay PepsiCo, I worked with a lot of really, really smart people whether that was as an engineer on the R&D side or in brand marketing, I worked with some of the best minds in the industry. And, and going in there and just learning from them and collaborating with them was invaluable. I think where I was at my worst is when I was trying to say, what do I got to do to get to the next level? What do I got to do to get a bigger job? Where I was at my best is where I just said, how do I learn and maximize this opportunity? And look, I think the biggest, the biggest lesson, lesson and conclusion that I had overall is that that advancement is not something I control. I quickly learned it's not about what I do. It's about who's sponsoring me. 
Who's noticing? Whose objectives am I helping achieve more so than the impact I'm having? And PepsiCo is a phenomenal company. That's by no means an indictment of PepsiCo. It's just that's the nature of the world. You know, you need somebody advocating and pulling for you. And that's really what mattered more than the output of the work. I know there were times I felt like I was not felt. I knew I was doing things to change the company and I was advancing slower. There were times I was doing stuff that maybe I thought was a little bit more on par and I was advancing faster. And a lot of it was related to circumstances out of my control. So that was a learning, not just in corporate America, but in life. We can control what we put in. We can't always control what comes out of that. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's only magnified. You can't make somebody buy from you. You could put your best foot forward. You could try your best. And if you adapt that mindset of, okay, that didn't work, but what did I learn from it? And how do I apply that to the next time? Well, at the same time saying, hey, these are some core tenets of what we're doing that I'm going to hold on to because I believe they're very important to the strategy. The ability to know where to adapt and where to hold firm really only comes from experience. And so there is one final piece of advice that ties to exactly what you asked. This was, I spent a year at Capital One while I was getting this business going, learned a lot there, a lot that's actually applying to our business here. Again, some really sharp people that I was fortunate to have the opportunity to come across. But there was somebody that I worked for and he said, you know, in life, you just got to run your race. Don't look at what the other person is doing, run your race. And that's true in corporate America it's even more true in entrepreneurship. The second that you look at what somebody else is doing and compare where you are versus them or what they've achieved, you're, you've lost because your race is your race. You don't know, you never know the sacrifices, trade-offs, compromises, hardships they went through to get to that point. We only know what we see from our vantage point. And if you spend time and energy worrying about that, that's time and energy you're taking away from yourself and your own ability to learn and grow and advance in your career. So those are some of the lessons I learned from, from corporate America that I think have only amplified in importance as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think I resonate with a lot of those. I'm sure those of you listening do as well. Thank you so much, Aditya, for sharing that. It, it kind of leads into another question that I always like asking people, and that's what their definition of success is. So if you yeah. can only control that input and you can't necessarily control the output, how you define success can impact you know, how you perceive happiness and how you perceive fulfill fulfillment and achievement. So right now, how do you define success and how has that maybe changed over time, you know, whether that was coming from an employee into an entrepreneur or just as a person in general going through your life? You know, I feel success isn't what you achieve, it's how you achieve. And you can, you can become a billionaire but if you harm a lot of people along the way, I don't know that I would view that as success. And, and so when you go back to what you can control, how you can achieve, look, at the end of the day, we all have base needs. We need a certain amount of, of income to be able to have food, shelter, safety, security, healthcare, the necessities in life. And there's no doubt having that's important. Uh, there's no doubt that when you achieve a certain a certain stature in life, you want to be able to maintain that because you've gotten used to certain things. There's no doubt those things are important. But I think keeping a focus on doing right by other people, doing right by your team, every decision I make at Awarity, I put it through three filters. The first question I ask is, is it good for our clients? The second question I ask is, is it good for our team? 
And then the third, as I say, is it sustainable and good for our business? And if it passes all three, then it's usually worth, worth doing. And if it doesn't pass one of the three, we have to ask some more questions about how that, how that works. And what that's open, you know, not that I did it for those, for these reasons, but what that's opened is when I needed help, when we were facing hardship as a business, there were partners that stepped up and were there to help because they know we always try to do right by them. I always was straight and honest with them about the challenge we're facing. I didn't try to hide it. I didn't try to mislead them. If they asked a question about something that was tough that I didn't want to answer, I still answered it right away, directly and honestly. And it doesn't always work this way, but I'm very fortunate that our partners were there to help us when we needed it. And it became a true a true partnership. So that to me is success, is that we have people around us that, that will help us and support us because no entrepreneur achieves anything alone. It's that community around you. That's your team. It's your partners. It's your strategic partners. It's your customers. It's your community. It's all those things have to come together to ultimately achieve something in business. And so if you're focused on how you're bringing others along and doing it the right way, it's you're much more likely to organically enlist that support. And I could say to where do you want to be where it is today without a community of people behind it? Yeah, I think it I think it really brings up an important piece of elevating those around you. And that's like, you know, if you if you want to get better, surround yourself with people that are also trying to achieve and, and get better. And you can build each other up and, you know, kind of from the competitive, not watching, you know, focusing on your own race, not watching other people's. It's also the the idea that you know, we can all win. I think that's something that other, you know, entrepreneurs sometimes think if there's a winner, that means there's a loser. If someone's doing this and winning, that means I also can't win. But I've tried to get that in my own mind that you can, everybody can, everybody can win everybody at their own win. race, right? And, and look, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in, in capitalism. And it was the CEO of a bank, uh, a local bank that I came across. And he said, true capitalism is one plus one equals 11. A rising tide lifts all boats. And that's really the spirit of it. The people that we look at, the people that maybe get looked down upon in the news or otherwise are people that view it as a zero-sum game. They, they view it as I win, you lose. And look, there's no doubt there are competitive activities in business. There's market share. Sometimes there's limited market share. There are challenges. But if you're focused on doing right by everybody, you're finding ways to create value. And capitalism creates value. And when you create value, that value isn't just for the business creating it. It's for its customers, it's for its partners, it's for its community. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I really think that if you if you listen back to this, if you need to hear it again, I think do that because I think you should leave this segment kind of kind of feeling uplifted, feeling motivated, feeling inspired to to succeed in your own race. And if that's entrepreneurship, if that's just you know doing the best you can in, in your current job. You know, I think living in the present moment, that's something I also struggle with. I, I tend to think forward or I tend to think back. It's sometimes I have to rein myself in and think, let's just focus on today. What can we do today to, to win this as today? And yeah. I'm wondering, Aditha, in your experience, both as an employee and now, you know, as an entrepreneur, have you found that, you know, winning the day, has that become easier? Has that become harder? Has it stayed the same? Do you find that, that you're living, you know, a more fulfilling life as an entrepreneur versus an employee? Trying, trying to get this out to see if there's people out there that they might be teetering on whether they, they want to jump into entrepreneurship, but they're maybe curious about you know, the sacrifices they may have to make or 
you know, maybe they're married with a family, maybe they're not. You're just kind oh, of yeah. that kind of that audience, you know, thinking about it. Maybe maybe I'll offer a little bit of advice uh, based on your experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing I tell people when they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur is imagine that bi-weekly direct deposit stops and it stops forever unless you reset it. And, and look, unless you're independently wealthy or you've got some wealthy folks backing you, that's the toughest part about entrepreneurship is it's the financial side. I think um, it's how do you, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to give yourself the basic necessities of life? How are you going to maintain whatever, you know, standard of life that you're, you're used to? How are you going to do that without giving, giving that up? And that's, that's hard. That's, that's really hard. And it's not for the faint of heart. You know, I used to have this notion that, Hey, when we pass a certain threshold, it's going to get easier. It's not. That was my lesson. We passed thresholds that I thought, oh, it's going to get easier. No, it's, it's almost the higher, the higher the stakes, the more people you're responsible to. And the, the bigger the holes you have to fill if something, if something gets wrong. You know, in the early days, it would be, okay, I got to figure out how to solve a, a $2,000 shortfall. Well, add a few zeros past that and now try to figure out something, something there. And to me, Look, you talked about your challenges. I face those challenges too. You hear me talking now. It doesn't mean that I'm always, I'm always embracing this. This is daily. I have to remind myself as well. We're all human. We're all trying to get better. And so, so these are challenges we all, we all have to have to face, but it is very fulfilling. It, but it, it has, uh, the challenges are, it can be lonely. You know, I, I, the people that I used to be really close friends with, that's not to say I'm not close friends with all of them still, but we relate and interact a little differently because they haven't experienced what I'm experiencing. Now, I have an idea what they're experiencing because I was in corporate America, but they haven't experienced what I'm experiencing. And it gives me an appreciation for my friends that were entrepreneurs that I thought I understood when I was in corporate America. Your view of life and the world changes the longer you're in this. And not, not for better, not for worse, but you just start to see things a little bit a little bit differently. And so it, it helps, it kind of helps transform you and, and test your metal on multiple levels from your own confidence, your spirituality, your, your faith and your yourself. It challenges a host of things that corporate America may not always, always challenge. Yeah, that's a good way to think of it as that, that direct deposit just disappearing tomorrow. You know, how long would you last? Or if you have to, it's kind of like, having to go hunt for your own meals, you know, not being able to, to order food yes. or go to the grocery store like that. It's kind of where my mind went with it. But yeah, I appreciate all those insights. I'm sure everyone listening as well does. And let's say, let's say we start into entrepreneurship and we now have an idea. We've gotten it off the ground a little bit. We're to the point where we want to market it. You know, your company, Awarity, is now disrupting that ad industry to help it be more affordable, more sustainable for those smaller companies and those that are up and coming. What would you say, Aditya, is the biggest mistake that you see being made right now in the marketing industry? Yes. The number one mistake is people are focused on the cost per conversion. It's a completely made up metric. So they'll sign into their Google search account, their Google ads account and say, I spent $100 and I got 10 conversions. So it was $10 per lead. I am a successful marketer. And to me, Google and Facebook have done a huge disservice to the marketing industry with creating that metric. I know why they did it, but it's not helpful. 
take a step back, erase that from, from the slate for a second. Think of yourself as a consumer. How do you buy something? When you're buying something new, you're changing your behavior. And there are dozens, if not more, points of influence that ultimately get you to change. Ranging from seeing an ad and becoming aware to maybe hearing a friend talk about a product experience to maybe seeing a demo to then maybe seeing a demo on Instagram or TikTok to maybe seeing it in store to reading some reviews. There's a host of steps we all go through on any purchase. And to think that that last ad you click on before you buy or before you submit a form to become a lead deserves all the credit and measures the success of your advertising campaign, it's completely disconnected with how consumers make decisions. And, and so that to me is the number one biggest mistake that I see being made is this obsession with what is my cost per conversion? Instead, the question people marketing their business should ask is, how does my customer shop? What are the steps in their journey? And how can I be helpful to them across that journey? How do I build awareness so people I'm on people's radar when they have a need? How do I make sure my website answers the most common questions they have and makes it easy for them to find those answers and gives them the depth of, of, of answer that they're looking for at that time? How can they dig deeper and find maybe more answers? How do I answer the phone when they call or when they submit an inquiry on my website? How do I respond to that and meet them where they are? Not what I want to tell them. What do they, what are they looking to hear? And ultimately delight them up to that point of purchase. So like, you know, I could show you an ad for a vacuum cleaner today. You may not need a vacuum cleaner, but if the ad's persuasive and compelling and meets a need you have, maybe in a year when your vacuum cleaner breaks, that ad will stick and say, hey, you know what? I need to check that company out. And then if you can find the information you're looking for, then maybe you'll buy from them along the way. But it's very unlikely that any current marketing analytics in terms of cost for conversions is going to say, oh, yeah, that ad somebody saw a year ago is a reason why you bought. And so I would say disconnect this obsession from cost per conversion and focus on how your customer shops and what are the things that you can use to get their attention and build awareness? What are the things you can show them along the way on that journey that highlight how you're a better solution than the alternatives and help their life. At the end of the day, every product's intended to help their customer's life. How are you helping their life and showcasing that in an easy to understand format and then being available and present on the key channels they look at when they're ready to buy? That's how, that's, that to me is limiting growth of a lot of businesses is this obsession with the finish line. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Honestly, I think that's a really good point that I, I think of even the, the ads that, that I've seen recently and have not purchased at that point, I, I maybe have purchased without clicking through an ad the next time. So it's like I may have just saved the website. So I think that that's an imp incredibly important metric to keep in mind when you're measuring the success of a campaign. And I would actually ask you, as far as just measuring success of campaigns in general, that seems to be kind of a subjective, difficult thing to do. What have you found to be like those, those metrics that are most important to look at? You shared which one yeah. you believe is the least important or definitely one to not put too much stake into. But what, what metrics do you suggest people look at if they are running campaigns to see if they're successful? Yes. And, and funny you ask, we're launching new things in, in the future, in the near future, that will help with measurement on this. Because we realize small businesses, mid-sized businesses may not have the tools to do this. But I would look at things like how many new users are getting to your website? 
not just through clicks, how many people are finding you, are finding your site through search because they've heard your name? So look at new users by month to your website. Look at return users. How many people, when the people visiting your site, what's their behavior? What pages are they looking at? What content's helpful to them? Where are they spending their time? Those are new metrics. You can look at and create a spreadsheet of all your marketing activities and look at how many leads did you get? Now look at it historically, because depending on the purchase cycle, you may need to look at six months of data before you can get any, any patterns. But look at things holistically from new people to the site, what pages they're visiting, how they're engaging with social content, how your search campaigns are performing, how are they responding to email outreach? Look at some of those metrics. Look at your service metrics. How are people that are calling in? What percentage of them are ultimately buying? Are the people inquiring on the website, what percentage are buying? Think about the steps in your journey, customer's journey from awareness to purchase and see what KPIs are out there. They're not all going to be perfect but they're going to give you a much stronger directional read on how they're moving the needle at different stages of that customer journey. Yeah. And another thing that you mentioned in the previous point was don't tell them the message that you want, that you think you want to tell them, tell them the message that you think they want to hear. So it's, it's, it's yeah, similar, but different, hear, right? They're looking for. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think that's super important because I, I think even just with something like this podcast, it's like, okay, I think, you know, it's fun. It's, you know, a passion project for me. It's something I enjoy. But is it is it providing value? Is it teaching other people something that's worth their time? And obviously that's judged by, you know, whether people engage with it, whether people listen to it. So it's it's just I, I think it's it's important to have that delineation of is this is this something that, you know, is maybe a business where you're trying to bring an in income to like support, you know, your 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 livelihood as a whole? Then you want to make sure that you're you're sharing the message that they want to hear, that you're providing value. If you're doing something as a passion pro- passion project, you know that's a little bit different. Maybe you're not trying to even make money from it. But I think that's something that I would have to think and hear early on before beginning entrepreneurship. What is your goal with what you're doing? And so I think that that's yeah. a really Im- important point, Aditya, that you shared there about that message and, and sending that clear message that they need to hear. How does a person know if they've created and, and crafted the right creative message? You know, if, if they're looking at those metrics, yeah. they, they can obviously kind of measure it with those somewhat, but how do they know that the message itself is, is quality? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and it's hard. You know, one of the things that we always ask people to do is think about one-to-one sales conversations and jot down those comments you make that you see them lean forward, where you know you really got their attention and jot it down right after the meeting there's something there that's standing out. But other, other, things, other things you can do in terms of ad messaging is first, is it simple? It has, we're, we're exposed to four to 6,000 ads a day. And so the ones that resonate are the ones that are simple. The second, are you highlighting the value to the customer, how you're making their life better? Are you making them the hero of your story? And then the third, is if you swapped out your logo and put in a competitor's logo, would the ad still work? And if it does, it's not distinctive enough. There was a Super Bowl commercial with a, with a car. I won't name the brand. And I remember seeing the commercial. And I was like, every one of their com- competitors could have run that exact same commercial. All they'd have to do is swap the logo out. And they all could have run the exact same commercial. 
And so is there something distinctive in there? And I think if you have those three, simplicity, you're highlighting something that really matters to your customer and, and helps them address a pain point. And it's distinctive. It's a message really only your brand can share and not others. That's generally a good starting checklist to make sure you're on the right, the right track. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point with with that Super Bowl commercial. And I, I honestly can't recall which brand that was either. But if you think of it, someone that's looking to buy a car, or maybe they will be in the future, if they think back to an ad like that, they might not necessarily remember which brand was in that commercial, just like, you know, right now. It's like, I, I probably watched the same commercial that you did, that millions of Americans did. But I can't tell you which one that was. Was it, you yeah. know, Toyota, Ford? Like, who, who was it? So I think that's important to make sure you're, you're telling something that's distinctive and simple. I think that that makes complete sense with the ads that I know resonate with myself. I'm sure those of you listening feel the same way, the ones that stick in your mind with those you know, catchy jingles or if it's a you know, unique kind of funny comedic uh, swing to it. So I, I think with, with your company Awarity and the way that you make this advertising more affordable for up and coming businesses and entrepreneurs, what would you say would be the step to, to get in contact with you and, and work with you? Is there, is there an easiest way to connect with you, you know, as yourself in case they have questions on the episode, or if, if someone really wants to just get into the marketing, how would they do that as well? So I think, I think there's two things. One, you could visit awarity.com and request a demo and somebody on the team will walk you through the platform and talk to you about how we could help your business. And the second is special for your listeners. We'll perform a free marketing audit. So if you go to awarity.com slash the gift, there's a form, fill it out, and we'll provide you a marketing assessment of what you're doing and share some thoughts and practices. And we're the first ones to say, if we don't think it's a good fit to advertise right now, we'll tell you that. I remember there was an upstart mortgage company that we spoke to about a year ago, and they were relatively small. And they said, look, at this point, I just need leads. And we said, that's great. But this isn't lead gen. This is brand awareness that ultimately will lead to leads, but it's not going to be overnight. You need to be doing other things to curate that awareness into a lead. They said, okay, so then I'm going to start with search, paid search. So at least when people are looking for a mortgage, I show up. And if I'm able to grow my business and generate some additional cash flow, I'm going to come back to you and advertise with you. And that process could take years. So we're not expecting them to come back in a week, in a month. In six months, that process could take time, but that's the right thing for them. The last thing we want to do is get them into doing something that isn't going to meet their expectations. And so the hardest part of entrepreneurship and small business ownership is cash flow. And it's hard to stick with awareness building because it's a, it can sometimes be a little bit downstream of what they need right now, which are immediate sales. Which is why I started Awarity. We make building awareness as affordable as $300 a month because we know that if somebody sticks with this for, top, for some time and layers it on top of existing advertising strategies, it will help them. You're bringing more people into that funnel, but you have to be in a position where you can give it time and feel that $300 a month is a very, very manageable expense. And if it's not, then it may not be the right thing for you. You may need to focus on some lower funnel, lower funnel tactics to start. You know, we started the business, we went to the Chamber of Commerce weekly. We shook a lot of hands. We gave those 30-second pitches. That's how we started. We didn't start by advertising. We started by meeting people, building one-to-one relationships. Once we got to a certain point, we layered in some search, and we just layered our advertising strategy as well the same way. 
Yeah, that that's perfect. Well, I'll make sure to tag that that link in the show notes there for that gift for those of you listening to you know connect that for that free uh, basically consultation call. I think that's extremely helpful to have. And Aditya, I have one final question for you as you wind this interview down. And it's kind of broad, but why does it seem like it's easier for big companies to advertise compared with smaller businesses or or entrepreneurs that are just starting out and up yeah. and coming? You know, aside maybe from the entirely that monetary piece cuz that ad spends obviously higher for bigger corporations. But in your opinion, why does it seem like it's easier for them versus uh, smaller businesses? So I, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, those bigger companies to get to that scale, they have a mature sales and marketing process. They have a track record. They know the different things that have to happen. It's easy for them to forecast next year's sales. When you're a small business, you're generally building that process as you're going. When you're an entrepreneur, you're building that process as you're going. And you don't always know where the weak links are. These big companies have been engineering that process for decades. And they've identified and optimized so many of those weak links. It doesn't mean they can't get better, but it makes it more efficient when they throw ad dollars. They've got a system behind those ad dollars to curate that awareness into new customers. Small businesses are are trying to do both. They're trying to solve the friction points while at the same time keep that top top of funnel going. The second is they have a baseline. They've been doing things for years. They have data on all the things they've been doing for years. And it's easy to iterate on a 20-year baseline of learnings versus trying to figure out what's going to work next on a three-year baseline of learnings. Yeah, I think that that's important because so many companies, when they're up and coming, they're obviously in such a high growth stage where they're probably just trying to figure out their own message maybe at that point. And it's like, if you don't truly understand your own message or where you fit into the market, it's going to be really hard to share that. A piece that I think of is that you could take a a terrible idea and market it wonderfully, and that's still not going to make any money. So it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to market something like crazy if it's not going to be right for the market itself at the first place. So Aditya Varanasi, I, I cannot thank you enough for being on the podcast, sharing these insights. We'll tag everything in the show notes as far as how to get in contact with you and your business. And we, we really just, we're looking forward to following your journey and we're excited for what you're doing at Awarity to help up and coming entrepreneurs be able to, to market and advertise effectively. So thank you for your time, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you all for, for listening.